On today's Locked on Jayhawks, we preview the Kansas Southern Utah game in basketball. Kansas coming off the big win over Duke in the Champions Classic. Obviously, we could do this on Friday's show, but we want to spend that time to preview the KU Texas football game. So KU Southern Utah preview on today's edition of LOJ. You are Locked on Jayhawks, your daily podcast on the Kansas Jayhawks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Derek Johnson. You can hear me as well on Rock Chalk Sports Talk Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 on KLWN in Lawrence. Thanks for making Locked on Jayhawks your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And on today's edition of Locked on Jayhawks, we're going to spend time previewing the Kansas Southern Utah basketball game. Kansas just fresh off their win over Duke in the Champions Classic. And... um. You know, we could hypothetically have done this show on Friday, but again, I wanted to spend that Friday show to preview the KU Texas game in football for Saturday. So that'll be on tomorrow's show, KU Southern Utah preview today. And if you want to, you know, save this to listen to on the day of you're driving up to the game or whatnot, then that's totally cool as well. But uh, yeah, thanks for uh, listening wherever you get your podcasts or if you want to check out our YouTube feed as well. So Kansas takes on Southern Utah. And obviously, this is a clear drop off from who you just played in Duke. But this is the second best opponent you've played so far. Southern Utah is ranked 161st on Ken Palm. North Dakota State is around 220. It's about 60 spots better than North Dakota State. They're out of the whack. Who knows? This could be a team that, you know, ends up winning the whack and, and winds up like a 14 or 15 seed in the NCAA tournament. So I guess this would be kind of similar to like a first round opponent if you're KU. You've got to do your best to try to avoid a sluggish letdown game after the high of the Duke game, and both in terms of the atmosphere, um, not that you know the crowd is like some huge deal in, at the Champions Classic, but in terms of the atmosphere of you know a bunch of NBA scouts and all these big programs and playing a, a really high-level opponent, uh, there is a little bit of a sink to, hey, oh, now we're playing Southern Utah, especially after the win you just had. Good news is for Kansas in front of Allen Fieldhouse fans, they're going to be juiced up and, and they're going to get the team kind of to that point anyway. Uh, but yeah, this is kind of a different test, obviously, than than the Duke game. Southern Utah is 3-1 and one on the season. They have played three consecutive non-Division one teams headed into this game. All of them have been wins. Their only other game came against a division one opponent in the first game it was an 89 to 81 loss at new mexico new mexico obviously out of the mountain west so you think that okay that should be playing up in competition new mexico isn't ranked super high on on ken palm but you know it's not like a bad loss for for southern utah uh overall you look at southern utah they're a team with solid defense they have issues on the defensive side of the ball that was really the case last year for them that's kind of been the case so far in the early small data points for this year's team as well. They don't really defend well. They don't get blocks. They don't get steals. Like that's just kind of a, a commonality for this team over the last couple of years. Um, but offensively, they shoot it. Uh, they shoot it above average from three. They shoot a good amount of attempts per game. And they shoot it really well from two. Uh, they're a team that, that creates driving lanes with some switchable wings. Uh, they'll play small ball at times. And they have a good center down low. And lineup-wise, that's kind of the interesting part of this game for me in that Southern Utah, uh, the lineup they use the most features a 6'5 point guard, 6'4 shooting guard, 6'7 and 6'6 on the wing, and 6'11 center. And their second most used lineup, when they're not playing the 6'11 the center in Jason, I don't know if it's Spurgeon or, or Spurgeon down low, 
they're playing a six foot six wing down low. So most often they're going to play small ball. And when they're playing that kind of six foot six wing down low, KU should either be able to feast with Uday or Edifer, who's who knows if Zach Clements will be back, or KJ Adams should be able to be the better version of kind of the small ball uh, five down low. When they are playing the 6'11 center, we'll see what KJ Adams can do to fight. I would imagine you'll see a lot of double teams when that's the case for KU, as we did against North Dakota State and, and saw against Duke at times. And that was actually effective in slowing that down. Um, but certainly this is a team that is going to play a little similarly to Kansas in that regard with having a bunch of wings and, and having guys who have good size at kind of the two, three, four positions. Uh, Tevin Jones, Tevian Jones is the team leader for them. He averages 18 points per game. He's a really good shooter. He shoots over 50% for three. He's the guy you got to kind of slow down on their end of the floor. I would imagine Kevin McCuller will kind of draw that assignment on the outside. And then the center with Jason Spurgeon or Spurgeon again, whatever. He can stretch it a little bit from the center positions. So you have to be ready for that. He's pretty efficient down low. He's shooting about 59% from the field. He's getting 10 points per game, which doesn't sound like a lofty total in points per game, but he's doing that in less than 19 minutes per game. So he's been really efficient for them on the offensive side, meaning KU centers are going to have to have a bit of a test again, which has kind of been a theme early on. You had North Dakota State with uh, Grant Nelson, who was a really good big man down low, Duke with all their size, and now you'll be tested a little bit down low by Southern Utah as well. This will be the final game, obviously, without Bill Self and Curtis Townsend. They'll be back after this one for the action next week. A uh, huge hat tip to to Norm Roberts here uh, for what he has done in these first three games. Mainly you look at the Duke game, being able to keep everything together. I know these will go down as program wins, but I really wish they would have counted to Norm Roberts. It's uh, really cool. The, the job that he has done and deserves a lot of credit for the start to this season for KU, obviously Bill Self and Curtis Townsend have been around at practice and whatnot, but Norm Roberts has pushed all the right buttons so far. Now, as important as, beating the good teams is and that's probably the most important thing right the win over duke um to show how elite you are beating the lesser ones by a lot is also key to that as well right if if you beat some of the good teams but then you lose to bad teams and you have bad therapy teams that can be indicative that yeah maybe you're not one of the elite teams you don't just become one of the elite teams by beating some good teams and getting a few top 25 teams or, or wins or top 10 win over Duke. You become an elite team or known as elite team because you are able to blow out bad opponents as well. So let's see if Kansas can do that against Southern Utah. Not that they're a bad team, but like compared to Kansas, again, this should be a, a pretty favorable line to KU. Now, as far as interesting matchups for KU in this one, um, obviously, as I mentioned with the, the good center down low for Southern Utah, like that'll be a challenge in its own. We didn't really see KU, uh, I don't know, carve out who the, the true five is going to be. We saw Zuby Edifer in the closing lineup for KU against Duke. Is that indicative that Zuby Edifer is going to get more run and, and maybe he'll be the first big off the bench as opposed to Ernest Uday? Um, does it mean that, you know, KU is, is going to give more minutes to uh, KJ Adams. I, I don't know what they're going to do at the five, but Ernest Uday looked really good against some of the, the smaller opponents they played and maybe some of the, the less talented opponents that they played in the first couple games. So I'd imagine he should be able to, to bounce back pretty well in this performance. But uh, that's kind of just storyline each and every game for Kansas at this point of like what's going to happen at the five. And then you also look at, to me, what the other interesting part of this matchup is. 
Um, obviously, you have an efficient offense. Like, how does the KU defense do? I imagine they're going to do okay. How does KU's smaller guards do? Because I, I think that's always something interesting when you play a team with length, right? I, I mentioned the the main five, the the main lineup, the most used lineup for Southern Utah this season: six five at the point guard, six four at the shooting guard, six seven, six six on the wing. So that means that Dewan Harris, Bobby Pettiford, Joe Yesifu, how do they do against a team with a little bit more length in terms of the guys that are going to be on them? I think Dewan Harris is going to be just fine. We haven't seen a lot of Bobby Pettiford or Joe Yesifu to know how they do, maybe against a little bit bigger length. So I think it's a good test for them. Obviously, it's it's a little different than maybe if you're playing length of Kentucky, where they're not just six 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 seven, but they have crazy athleticism. Like this might be six 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 seven, but KU is much faster than them. So it's not a a total perfect uh, figuring out of how KU's smaller guards do against length. But if KU is going to be playing two guard lineups, you know you're going to have to kind of deal with that, and that'll be kind of an interesting test in its own right uh, for Kansas in this one. All right, in just a minute, I want to get on to uh, something that should be really interesting for this game, what happens with MJ Rice and Zach Clements. I also want to get into a kind of uh, ode to Jalen Wilson and the impressiveness of KU in the past and how they've been able to have some of these um, players emerge from being like good role players or whatnot to all of a sudden turning into superstars, which has been the case once again for Jalen Wilson here. But first, this is Locked on Jayhawks is brought to you by Nugenics. Are you feeling like you just can't get in shape? It might not be your fault because as men age, our body naturally loses free testosterone, the man hormone, so to speak. It happens to every man. It can make it more difficult to stay in shape and be energetic and be active. Like, remember when winning felt easy? That's because when you were younger, you were at the peak age of that testosterone production. And wouldn't it be nice to get that winner's edge again and that old swagger back in your step? If you want more energy to counter the negative physical effects of aging, Nugenics Total T Testosterone Booster with Testafin will help you turn back the clock, re-energize your workouts, get your better results at the gym, and help you look and feel like the man you really want to be. Nugenics Total Tea contains man-boosting key and G ingredients like Testafin. It has been validated in five clinical studies shown to boost free testosterone levels in men. And because Nugenics Total Tea boosts free testosterone, the aging process robs, you'll feel stronger, leaner with more energy and drive and more passion too. Your partner is going to notice the difference. Nugenics Total Tea is the number one selling testosterone booster at GNC. Right now, you can get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text COLLEGE to 231-231. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, the most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you get back into shape fast. Absolutely free. Text COLLEGE to 231-231. Text COLLEGE to 231-231. Texting enrolls you into recurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. Get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text college to 231-231. All right, so uh, for KU in this one, obviously MJ Rice and Zach Clements were missing in the game for the Jayhawks. Do they return in this game? I don't know. Zach Clements, he got popped in the nose, and the fact that he didn't even travel with the team, probably not a great sign that he's going to be able to be back just a few days later. Uh, it sounds like he, I don't know, he might have even like broken his nose or something. Maybe you'll you'll see a situation where Zach Clements wears a mask, and maybe we'll get masked. Zach Clements is the Zach Clements that uh, hits his potential and and just leads to him being a, a tougher foe inside or something. But um, 
I don't know. Uh, obviously, against Duke, you didn't have anybody really take down and, and command the center spot, which means he's going to continue to get some chances. I really think he would have actually maybe been well-suited for the Duke game. Now, on one hand, the way that they dominated the glass and inside, maybe he would have struggled with the physicality of the game. But Kansas obviously could have used more three-point shooting in that game. They could have used another floor spacer to stretch out Duke's bigs. So, I mean, at the very least, KU having another body in that game who could draw fouls and, and play inside would have helped. Um, but again, I'm not sure he's going to play against Southern Utah. We'll see. For MJ Rice, it's a little different because it was an illness thing, and you don't know what that is. Was it if it's like COVID-19, then he's probably going to be out for this game as well. Was it just like, you know, having a fever or like stomach flu or something like maybe he could be back for this game. Um, but clearly he's very talented and and I don't really know what's going on there because you're talking about him missing the first game with a back injury. The second game he warms up, but he doesn't play. And maybe there's some other stuff going on over there. He comes off the bench after like seven minutes of the first game, looks really talented, but shoots it a lot and then just doesn't play because of an illness, which again, if it's like COVID or something, you understand, but we've seen other guys play through illness. So the fact that he didn't even make the trip down with the team is certainly interesting there. Again, I don't know if there's something else going on or what, or if he'll be back for this game. Certainly you could have used his shot creation in the game against Duke because you you know, really needed that in the half court at times. Uh, he also might have shot you out of a win, too, because, uh, you know, he's someone who who really fires when he gets the ball. But I mean, for him, if the battle for the eighth man, right, you have your, your starting five with that we've seen really so far this season and all the regular season games with Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller, Jalen Wilson, Grady Dick and, and KJ Adams. And then you have your your center first big off the bench with either Ernest Duday or Zuby Edgefer. It's been Ernest so far. And then you have Bobby Pettiford. Like those are your, your seven-man rotation. That means the eighth guy is going to be one of Joe Yasufu or MJ Rice. So that's the, the big competition. And Yasufu is more of an, an off guard. MJ Rice can play the two through the four. And you can move like Grady Dick up to the two or, or whatever you want. Uh, but that's really the big battle. It's between MJ Rice and Joe Yesifu. Yesifu played well in the North Dakota State game, which funny enough and coincidentally was the game that MJ Rice played. So I'm sure that competition, I don't know, maybe it led to, to increased play from Joe Yesifu. Um, but outside of that, the other three games for Joe Yesifu, and if you count the uh, exhibition into those other games, that's why I'm saying the other three, he has struggled shooting the basketball. That was apparent against Duke as well. He goes 0 for 4 in that game. He's really struggled in the other game shooting the ball, and that's the key for him to get on the court. He needs to be a shot maker. That's what this team needs, both in terms of what would help them and in terms of what Joe Yesfu's role could be for the team. So he's struggled in that regard. That leaves the door open for MJ Rice, especially with the way he played in that game. I feel like MJ Rice would have that, that step up on the competition, but again, there, there seems to be some weird, like, other things going on, maybe at practice or uh, whatnot, that maybe he's not being able to carve out as big of a role as as he kind of wants there. But he needs to get back onto the court as soon as possible to try to gain that trust from the team and um, an opportunity against maybe a lesser foe to get even more minutes and, and show that you deserve that more playing time. Um, obviously, it's, it's less concerning if both of those players with Clements and MJ Rice can't return for this game against Southern Utah. You'd prefer to have the bodies and the players and the athletes and the skill back for the games in the Bahamas, which are going to be more threatening to losing the game against some good opponents in the Bahamas with NC State. And then maybe you could play, you know, Tennessee or Dayton down the road in the tournament, whatever. You prefer to have them back for those games in the Bahamas. But also, 
if you're looking at both those guys, both of their best chance to shake off rust and to prove themselves in the rotation because neither has really secured or cemented a big spot in the rotation, their best chance to prove their spot and gain more minutes and gain that trust from the coaching staff is to play against a team as a lesser opponent who, A, you're going to have a better opportunity to do well in, B, you're going to have more opportunity in than a tougher game to begin with who maybe KU is going to go with the guys they trust right off the bat. Obviously, if you're picking one guy that this team long-term probably needs more, I think I would go with MJ Rice. You could make a real case that you should choose Zach Clements in that question because for the sake of the center position that hasn't really been nailed down for KU and the KU has so many questions at the center spot and is looking for answers, uh, but because we don't know if he will give you those answers, like it's one thing to say, oh, well, you know, Zach Clements is more important because the center position is open. Okay, but Zach Clements might still be the third center. So you might not get those answers, even though you're looking for the answers there. He might not be the answer that I would go with MJ Rice because I feel like there is a more clear path for MJ Rice being a part of the rotation and being a mainstay in the rotation. Um, maybe you could say the ceiling of Zach Clements is being the starting center, whereas maybe the ceiling of MJ Rice is just coming off the bench and being one of those guys. I don't think that's true. I think if all hit for MJ Rice, like maybe Grady Dick struggles defensively or whatnot, and, and MJ Rice would work into a starter. But um, I do think that you need MJ Rice to help this team with shot creation at certain points, to be another transition force, to be another wing you bring off the bench, because in the Duke game, you didn't have any other wings to bring off the bench. And as much as Maybe your struggles at the center and Duke's size led to the rebounding advantage. Having another wing as opposed to maybe a small guard come out there is going to help you on the glass as well. So if it truly is an illness thing, I guess we don't know what that means, how long he's out, if it's COVID or something else. But I would imagine he would be back soon. As far as Zach Clements, I don't know that I'm expecting him to play, but you know, the sooner he gets back, the better it is for him, the better chance he has in the early going while Ernest Uday and Zuby Ejiofor are still developing, as is Zach Clements, to maybe nail down a, a rotation spot or time with this team. As later in the year when maybe guys have kind of figured some things out. All right, in uh, just a minute here, I want to get on to uh, some more with KU basketball and how Bill Self and KU as a program have just developed – some of these guys into really just turning from one year to the next of being like solid players or solid rotation players to all of a sudden turning into guys that, you know, are superstars for this team. But first, this episode of Locked On Jayhawks is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for your sports betting information, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. They've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those two at BetOnline as well. They're the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. You can head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more you can get the kansas game against texas on saturday at plus nine and a half if you want the jayhawks i kind of like that bet they played texas close i think this should be a closer game uh, you could also get the money line if you want some plus odds haven't seen a line out for southern utah but that will be coming out i imagine on uh friday that you can take ku and you know instead of you being bored if KU's up 18 late in the game and just being like all right well i have nothing left to watch for you know, maybe you get Kansas at whatever the line's going to be, like minus 20 or, or minus 22 or something like that. Right now on Ken Palm, which isn't indicative necessarily of all the lines, it has KU as winning by 22. Usually the 
the the lines are like bet online or Vegas or whatnot are going to be close to that. So, you know, maybe it makes the game a little bit more interesting rooting for Michael Jankovic to hit a late three bet online where the game starts. Okay, finishing things up here with uh, kind of an ode to Jalen Wilson and, and what KU has been able to do um, under Bill Self and in the Bill Self era with players really emerging from solid players to all of a sudden turning into superstars at the end of their career. The growth of KU players in the Bill Self era from good to star has happened a good amount of time, especially a lot of them have come from guys who have turned into upperclassmen. And every year, it seems like we ask the question of if X player, right? This year it was Jalen Wilson, can now step up to be the star of the team. Can they go from being a good player to being the star? And honestly, like it is a fair question. I know we ask it every year and a lot of times it works out. But like it is a fair question because it's really hard to do that. That is a very large ask to ask someone and not something that should be taken lightly. And like to be clear, it'd be revisionist history to just say that KU has gotten that every single time, right? Like that didn't really come to fruition in the 2020 to 21 season where Kansas ends up getting smoked by USC in the second round. But more often than not, KU has gotten that jump from their player from turning into a good player to now you're being asked of more. Now you're an all big 12 player, maybe big 12 player of the year, maybe even an all American or national player of the year, which speaks remarkably on the job that Bill Self does, that staff does, and obviously speaks to the individuals and the work ethic and, and what they do to get to that point as well. You go back to Sharon Collins. He goes from a stud bench guard as a freshman and sophomore to being an All-American as a junior when they need him to in 2009. Marcus Morris goes from being an important starter on the 2010 team to all of a sudden, as a junior in 2011, being a second-team All-American in the Big 12 Player of the Year. You asked of him to do more because you lose Cole and Sharon. He does. The next year, the Morris twins are gone. You're asking Thomas Robinson, who went from bench big to all of a sudden, now he needs to be one of the stars of the team as a junior in 2012, and he was. He was a National Player of the Year candidate. He was an All-American. Um, Frank Mason, he was a All-Big 12, second, third-team type of guard. He turned into a National Player of the Year his senior year, made that jump when you needed him to to kind of take that next step as a team. Then you lose Frank Mason, you lose Josh Jackson, you need Devontae Graham, who goes from junior to senior year, to take a step from being a really good player, an elite sidekick, an all-Big 12 type of player, to that next step, and he becomes an All-American in 2018. Yudoka is is a little bit different because he just kind of goes from being unhealthy to healthy, but also he goes from being a guy who is a dominant force offensively when he's in there, who's only going to play a certain amount of time, is solid on defense positionally, to being a guy who hey, we need you to take that next step. Diedrich Lawson is back. We lose Quentin Grimes at the transfer portal. We didn't have a great year. We need you to be that guy that takes us to that next level. And he becomes uh, in better shape. He becomes the most dominant inside defensive force in addition to being that efficient guy on offense and turns into, as a senior, an All-American and one of the best or the best players in the country in his final year. Then Ochai goes from being an all-Big 12 type of wing you have questions about, well, KU just gets blown out in the second round by USC. They're returning all these players. Are they really going to be an elite team by just returning pretty much the same team that just got housed in the second round? Well, the answer was yes, because, and, and also Christian Brown applies to this, and also for the last team, Devon Dotson applied for it from freshman to sophomore year. But um, Ochai goes from being an all-Big 12 type of wing, solid player, to a National Player of the Year candidate and an All-American. So it happens all the time, and it appears we're seeing the same pattern repeat itself right now with Jalen Wilson. And, and when you think about 
uh, those teams that I just mentioned, all those cases I just talked about, you know what the common theme there is? Kansas has a lot of success. Now, maybe this is just a a happenstance and it's just uh, a correlation between two things that um, or, or it's it's less of causation and more of just a correlation about, hey, Kansas under Bill Self tends to have really good teams every year. So a lot of times these are just going to fall into those buckets of, yeah, they happen to be on good teams and this happened. But um, I, I think there is something to the idea of if you have a star player with a Bill Self team that you know is going to get them in good positions with sets and playing defense and having other good players, if you have a star, it's going to take those teams to the next level. So like 2009, uh, you lose all your five starters from a national title team, and yet you still win the Big 12. You make the Sweet 16, and honestly, you probably should have beat Michigan State that year. You were up late in that game and kind of blew that game. Otherwise, you make the Elite Eight, and that Michigan State team made the Final Four. Maybe you make back-to-back -back five. Final fours. So that team was really good. 2011, Kansas with Marcus Morris. That was one of the best teams in the country. Probably should have won a title. They at least made the Elite Eight, won the Big 12, dominant team. 2012, you make a run to the title game. 2017, you make it to the Elite Eight. You were one of the two best teams in the country by getting the number two overall one seed. And, you know, if not for the, the Oregon mishap where you just couldn't make anything in Kansas City and Tyler Dorsey goes off. Maybe that team wins a title. 2018, you make the Final Four. 2020, you're the best team in college basketball COVID year. Last year, with Ochai making that jump, you win the title. All those examples I just brought up were unbelievable teams for KU basketball. So who knows if that'll be the case once again on this KU team. Certainly what we saw last night against Duke would be evidence to just that happening after uh, Jalen Wilson goes off for... 25 points, 11 rebounds, five assists. He's done it every game, and he certainly looks like he's going to be a superstar this season for KU. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Jayhawks. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll preview the KU-Texas football game. If you have anything you'd like for the show to talk about or want to follow along in the action, you can reach out at D Johnson Radio on Twitter. You can comment on our YouTube section. You can obviously subscribe to the show with YouTube or anywhere that you listen to your podcasts with Locked on Jayhawks. That'll do it for today's episode. Have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to some of you later on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Bye.